Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Another edition of the VanCast here, Jay Pat and Drancer. We're talking about uh, college hoops, the big dance. I guess that makes uh, you're the big Drance. Uh, and we're talking about the hottest team in hockey. Well, kind of, sort of. Uh, only the Islanders in Colorado, Tom, with more points than the Vancouver Canucks in the month of March. As improbable as it is, it continues. They're playing with fire. It's a house of cards. Call it what you will. Uh, but they found another way to win. And they take both games in Ottawa here last night, needing the shootout. You don't need to apologize for winning, right? Like, Travis Green, Vancouver Canucks players, they don't need to apologize for winning the way they're winning, by any means, right? In fact, full credit where it's due. And, le- and let's let's talk about some of the positives from Wednesday night. I thought Niels Hoaglander had his best game in weeks. I, I, I think quietly under the radar, and this shouldn't be surprising, because this is one of the very few guys in the entire league who's actually like on pace to play 82 games this season, right? Like he's had a full season. (laughs) Everyone else is in November, December form, right? Um, But I think he slowed down just a bit, just a a touch over the past couple of weeks, two and a half weeks. And and I know in part because I've got a project that's required Niels Hoaglander to have a good game. It'll drop at The Athletic next week. I'm really excited about it. But uh, I've been watching him really closely, just waiting for a game where he is his usual dynamic battle-winning self. Um, I just ha- I haven't seen that quite the same level that he had earlier in the year, but boy, was he there on Wednesday. Great pass to Bo Horvat. I thought Hoaglander with Horvat and Besser was excellent, like just an excellent touch um, from, the, from the coaching staff, but also all three I thought played pretty well, all things considered. Brock Besser continues to score. Uh, I think the Hamannick-Hughes pair has played really well, like really well. I think that's sort of one of the undertold reasons for this. Like Demko obviously is the reason that the Canucks are on this streak, but having a second pair that's kind of stabilized, um, I think has helped the Canucks a lot. Now, there's something else to be said about the Edler-Schmidt pair, which has not been nearly as effective of the last two weeks as they were earlier in the season, even though the results weren't going the team's way. But Hamannick-Hughes, that to me is a a legitimate bright spot. Um, You know, I think we kind of like it kind of ends there, right? Like it kind of ends there in terms of auspicious things that you can point to in terms of performance. Aside from that, like, I, you know, I think maybe maybe when you get Pedersen back, maybe Jimmy VC helps you, you know, just add a, a slightly above replacement level option into the bottom six. I think that could help considering where the Canucks lineup has been for a while. But, you know, they don't need to apologize for winning. Full credit to the players for continuing to grind through this really isolating, really difficult, really weird hockey season. Um, you know, full credit. Like, honestly, full credit to them. They've they've put themselves back in the conversation. It's still a snowball's chance. Uh, maybe not in hell, but in Tahiti. And there's still a huge mountain to climb here with a lot of signs that the way they've won games won't continue. But, you know, with Pedersen coming back, with Demko playing this way, like, they've at least put themselves in the conversation to start a conversation and, you know, credit to them. Like I I don't take nothing away from that. And I, and I think some fans are really enjoying it. Um, but in the big picture, right? Like in the big picture and, and I'm committed to doing this, like I'm committed to doing this Dr. Doom bit, J Pat in the big picture. (laughs) There's no way you can tell me that you've seen over the past 17 days, any reason that this team should, and, and again, players should keep fu- grinding and fighting. Coaches should keep trying to milk every point they can from, from the rest of the schedule. But if you're management, if you're Jim Benning, if you're Francesco Aquilini, if you're watching these games, there is no way you can be watching them and thinking, this is the gutty team that we've believed in. You know, like, no, no, stop that right now. Like, this is a team, this is a team where you've got some good pieces that have helped you tread water 
you know, despite brutal results and, and some key injuries. But man, this is a limited, extraordinarily limited team. A team with no realistic hope of making any noise in the playoffs. And in fact, still facing incredibly long odds to even make it. This is a team that you need to be not blowing up, but but strip mining for whatever future parts you can monetize between now and the most complicated NHL trade deadline in our lifetimes. Um, it might be different. Like it might. There's a possibility that we see like six trades in the entire NHL over the next three and a half weeks. I don't think that's super likely, but I think it's possible. Which just makes the urgency with which you have to be shopping these pieces now and for the last three weeks, frankly. Like, you have to be doing that with discipline and with focus. You have to be trying everything to turn Pearson into a second and Sutter into a fourth and Ben into a fifth. And and I don't want to hear from people like, well, oh, oh those are like 20% chances of you ever landing a player from it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it's not about that. It's about the fact of where this team is and the unique opportunities that lie ahead of it, right? There are unique opportunities at the deadline. There is a unique draft class. Like I was talking to a scout yesterday as I was working through these prospect rankings we've dropped at The Athletic, and he was t- he was mentioning like his example was Seth Jarvis, right? So Seth Jarvis was the, uh, I think, 13th overall pick last year by the yeah. uh, Carolina Hurricanes. And if you did a redraft, especially with the way he demolished AHL competition before he had to get sent back to the WHL bubble, um, he's a top five pick. Like, he's a top five pick. But if you restrict his season in 1920 to 20 games, right, he had a slow start to the season for the Portland Winterhawks. He was like, this guy's a fourth rounder. You know what I mean? This guy's a fourth rounder, probably. If you just accelerate, like if he was a year younger, he might go in the fourth round. And within 12 months, be considered the fit, one of the top five players in the draft. And he's like, there's going to be not just one, but multiple players like this. Like guys who you ne- look at, uh, not even not even two years on, but a year on, as being top 15 talents that are available in the third and the fourth round. So first of all, there's that factor. But secondly, there's this expansion draft factor where you've got this crazy harvest process that's going to unfold. And the Canucks don't have enough depth of talent that they actually have to worry about protecting some of their guys. Like they can actually go out and acquire players in, in a way that most teams are not going to be able to do. Like with low competition, they're going to be able to go out and potentially land, you know, like, do you like Sammy Blay? Do you like Ivan Barbashev? Do you like Warren Fogle? Like, do you like above average middle six forwards? Because there's a chance that the Canucks can get, or second pair above average, second pair D there's a chance that the Canucks can land some of these guys for mid round picks maximize your artillery. The stakes are so high for this team with the core that they have, with the expansion draft looming, with the crazy draft that's going to be influenced by the pandemic. Like every bit of weaponry matters so much right now. And the idea that what this club's done over two weeks should could or should distract from that because wins are fun in March. And, you know, we watched the 1982 Canucks. We know what a hot gold contender can do or whatever, <laughs> whatever gobbledygook you're throwing out. Like, Stop it. Stop it. Eye on the ball. Eye on the ball. This team is not good enough this season. Not even close. Not even close. And the their eyes need to be perched. Not the players. Not the coaches. Not the fans who can enjoy the wins. Management need to be focused squarely on what lies ahead because it's crucial if this team's ever going to do something, you know, more meaningful than almost salvaging a lost season in the month of March. And one of the storylines to come out of the win over Ottawa on Wednesday, kind of under the radar, but Tanner Pearson left that game with an ankle, it looked like an ankle injury, and so, you know, we'll have to wait and see. You hope that uh, it's nothing serious, that he can get back and playing, and then, uh, you know, be an option if, in fact, the Canucks are able to pedal him. Uh, The last thing they need is a damaged Tanner Pearson at this stage of the proceedings. Just back to the game itself, though, for a couple of things, because you mentioned a few things that I want to pick up on. Uh, I agree with you on Hoaglander. I also think he got away with one on Shabbat. He did. He, oh, no he question. Kinda, he tripped him up. But Veteran savvy from the young fella. It was. It, and, <laughs> and, and look, you got to get some bounces and some breaks along the way. But but in the Monday armies, Harm did a nice job of isolating what Hoaglander did off the rush where he dropped back and became a passing option. And mm-hmm. remember, he set, up, he set up Horvat at the side of the net and Horvat didn't score on Monday. 
But here it was the same sort of thing. It was a different rush because it was a, a two-on-one, actually a three-on-one Besser in there as well. Uh, but then makes the play and Horvat able to convert, gives the Canucks the 2-0 lead after Besser. And this is you know one of sort of my favorite storylines of this whole season, Tom, is just how easy Brock Besser makes it look to score goals again when he's in positions to shoot the puck. And he was that I way. Know. You know, it was just a no-doubter. Like, there was no doubt that he was going to open the scoring when he got the stick on his, uh, the puck on his stick. Set up, by the way, by Bo Horvat, who I thought had a really good game. Like, you talk about Hoaglander, uh, and I think it kind of goes hand-in-hand, hand, and they've been linked for much of the season. But, you know, look, I was hard on Horvat, and I think it's fair to have expectations on players that you believe are capable of doing and giving more. And in the month of February, when the Canucks won two of 13 games... I didn't think the captain played well. I know he had matchup roles, but he was getting outscored on the regular uh, at five on five. He had one assist in the month of February. He's a centerman in the NHL. And you know me. I mean, this has been a constant theme of mine, just watching who's making plays on this hockey club. And Horvat, halfway through March, has four goals and four assists in the last eight games. Like he's better than a, a point-a-game guy. So uh, I do think that while Thatcher Demko is stealing the headlines for all the right reasons, without Elias Pettersson, I think Bo Horvat has, has elevated his game, the hit on Kachuk late in the first period. Uh, you know, I, you, you like to see that kind of stuff. So uh, credit where it's due, because I had been poking at the captain because I believed that the captain, and he showed it. Everybody's talking about bubble Demko. Like, I think this last little run, we've seen some bubble Horvat as well. And you remember how good he was. Uh, he was a dominant force, scoring big goals for the Canucks in the playoffs last summer. So uh, just to, you know, want to throw a little uh, attention to, to Bo Horvat there. I like that line, you're right, uh, across the board. I thought easily the Canucks' best line. But, like again, let's be honest here, Tom. The Canucks have scored eight goals in regulation in their last five games and somehow have won four of them. Eight goals in regulation. Now, JT Miller scored in overtime, and that one certainly counted. Uh, but just in terms of run of the play, 60 minutes in the last five games, the Canucks have put a puck in the net eight times, and they're four and one in that stretch. Like uh, something, again, that makes no sense whatsoever, but I guess it does make sense if Thatcher Demko is basically not going to give up anything. But the other thing that we have talked about on this pod from time to time is the difficulty this Canuck team has had throughout this season overcoming deficits, right? Like, it's just been a monumental ask. When they fall behind, they finally chipped away and they beat the Leafs, and then they fell behind 1-0 and scored the late goal, got at, uh, tied Montreal, and then won that game in a shootout. So, you know, they have been able to come back and chip away at one-goal deficits. They gave up 2-0 leads in both of the games in Ottawa against the Senators. And you think back, there was the 2-0 leads against Calgary and Winnipeg at home, a 3-0 lead that got away against the Edmonton Oilers. Like this team that struggles so mightily when it's behind, it just shuts down. Like it gets a 2-0 lead and I guess they figure Demko can carry it from here. But both games in the nation's capital out to a 2-0 lead and they let the Sens back in both of them. You're so negative, J-Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean for sure well and this is a team that's been outscored at five on five in the month of march with 960 plus goaltending in those games i mean that's hard to do like that's yeah. honestly hard to do um so it goes but yeah i mean we'll see like the big test against montreal this back-to-back -back set is everything um you know it's going to be fascinating to see how they manage the goaltending split, right? Because this is a team that's super reliant on one goaltender, and I'd imagine they're going to be reluctant to play him in both games. But I also think that you have to consider it. Like, you have to consider it if you're the coaching staff and if you're the players. Uh, you have to consider giving yourself the best chance to win. And I don't think there's any question that that's Thatcher Demko at the moment, especially with the way he's going. Um, you know, I... You just have to figure, you just have to think about it. Like at the very well, least, it has to be on the table. Here's my thought on that one. I, I, I think absolutely like, look, we talked and we kind of made fun of the fact early in the season when things were getting away from the Canucks, you know, the idea of meaningful games in March wasn't going to happen in a season that started in mid January. So credit to them because yeah. these are meaningful games now in Montreal. Like these are meaningful games. Ultimately, who knows how it plays out, but in the here and now, they're two points back of the Habs. They've got Montreal back-to-back -back here, Friday and Saturday. They haven't played well against Montreal. They've beaten them twice in a shootout. But otherwise, we know the Tyler Toffoli story. But if you're the Canucks, you've won three in a row. You've won four or five. Uh, 
you march into Montreal and you throw haymakers. You put Thatcher Demko in goal on Friday and no you question. take your chances. Like you, you can't get the sweep of this weekend set without getting the first one. If they lose on Friday, now they're in scramble mode and trying to salvage on Saturday. And so I think you go in Friday, you hope you get the win, you assess the workload and the situation, and maybe you consider Demko in both of them if he, again, can carry the load here. But we pointed this out repeatedly on this pod this week. They're also at home to Winnipeg on Monday. And there's some serious yep. travel in there between Saturday and, and Monday. So I, I think you, you go you, in with those Winnipeg games are just as important, right? Like, yeah, well, absolutely. So, but I think you march in the front door of Montreal in the Bell Center and you just come out swinging with uh, what you think is your best lineup right now. I would imagine Jimmy Vesey is going to make his Canuck debut, um, but it's Thatcher Demko. And, and you try to serve notice to the Habs that Demko's on this run and, you know, take your best shot. So, you, uh, I mean, the, the Habs shelled him for five last week, right? Like, so I don't think the Montreal Canadiens are going to think, oh my God, there's no way that we're going to score against Thatcher Demko because they pumped five past him last week. But if you're going to split, I think you go Demko Friday and Holtby on Saturday. 100%. And, uh, I, I mean, no question. No question. You got to take your best shot on Friday. Um, you know, unless, unless there's like, unless Demko wakes up sore or there's a sure, fatigue issue sure. that sets in. And I do want to note too, as, um, I think it was Paul Salina, uh, Canucks fan on Twitter pointed out to me, Demko has played back to back in his NHL career. It was in the playoffs in the bubble when he did start game six and game seven. What a travesty, by the way, that those games were played back to back. I'm, I'm actually still upset about it and not, not cause the Canucks lost just cause that was such a fun playoff run for Canucks fans. And then it ended that game seven was just bad hockey on both sides, right? Like, those teams were gassed. They were completely, they were, you know, the, the old tired puppies uh, yep. analogy that I brought up the other day, right? Just, like, nibbling at each other but unable to really move. That That's basically what that Game 7 was. Um, Canucks and Vegas Golden Knights fans deserved better from a high-stakes game. Anyway, uh, so he has done it. He did in the playoffs, and I wanted to note that as an error and omission on my part. Uh, thanks, Paul, for correcting me, keeping me honest. And and I hope that all of the people on Twitter that say I never admit when I'm wrong will note this, too, because I absolutely do. Anyway, one, um, one more thing on last night's game. And <laughs> this this frustrates me uh, again. They got the win. So two more points in their point total column. Put the two in their back pocket. Move on to Montreal. But in a 2-1 hockey game, when the Sens third string goalie gets injured and has to be helped off the ice, and a raw rookie takes NHL ice for the first time in his career, coming in cold, off the bench, and the Canucks get six shots on goal over the final 14 minutes. Like, wow, you're gifted this opportunity. Like, take advantage of it. Force this guy to make some saves. That included a power play. And look, I know JT Miller yeah. rang one off the crossbar on the second period on the power play from the Petters spot on the ice. But that third period power play after the Sens had tied the game, Horvat in get on the breakaway, draws the penalty again. I thought Bo, you know, part of his night as well last night. But come on, like test this guy. This is supposed to be the best league in the world. Like see if this guy is up to the challenge. And it just, you know, I, I saw like yesterday on Twitter, there was a lot of talk about, you know, Joey Decord and a third string goaltender and the Canucks making, you know, these guys that maybe don't even deserve a spot in the NHL. They make them look like uh, Ken Dryden. Now you go down to a fourth string guy who comes off the bench and they just did nothing to test him. And so, uh, again, there's this feeling, I guess, when they get their two-goal lead that they think that that's enough and they basically shut down the offense. And so it, it just, it was frustrating. It was frustrating. And I know they won the hockey game, but you got to do better in that situation than six shots over the final 14 minutes against a completely unproven and untested goaltender. Yeah, no, no question. And I I mean, the, you know, one of my big takeaways from watching that Sens game, by the way, is Nick Paul is really good. I really like Nick Paul. That was like one of, uh, watching these games this week, I came away being like that Nick Paul, Evgeny Dadunov line, man, uh, or Dodonov, if you want to be super correct about it. <laughs> Um, that line is, that line was cool and they, and they played really well. Like they controlled things against the Canucks to a level that they probably shouldn't have been able to. Um, but you're right. I mean, the Canucks needed to get more of a push, but how do you get more of a push when you've only got one line going? Um, uh, you know, I, I think that's another thing to note, right? Like in the annals or for the 
sort of list of things that are happening around this team that should concern you, I think. One of them has got to be that, you know, after a really strong start and you give him credit overall for the way that he's battled out of position to keep the Canucks afloat and at least winning games in Elias Pettersson's absence. Like, I think over the last three games-ish, we've begun to see why JT Miller is probably a winger, right? Like, you know, he can play center. It's a good look for the Canucks to maybe go to here and there. But there's a reason this guy's a play driving, like a high end play driving winger and not a centerman, despite being a great faceoff guy, right? Like there is a reason for that. And I think we've been reminded of it. I think we were reminded of it last night. Like the, the Canucks had, you know, as Green, Travis Green said after the Monday game, you know, about playing Jace Howerlick up the lineup that he was looking to stabilize three of his lines, right? Like last night they had one line going at all. And it was that Horvat Hoaglander line. Um, you can't, it, like, you can't test goaltenders if you can't generate a, any consistent push. And the Canucks couldn't. Like, the Canucks couldn't. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's not a surprise. Like, this is just a very limited team overall. And I just think you need to be honest about that in a set. Like, this team, you know, without VC in the lineup, they dressed 11 forward, 7D. They played Chatfield as a winger on occasion. It was an adventure. Um... But, like, I I don't think you can name a moment from a bottom six Canucks forward, for example, where one of them even really looked all that dangerous. I guess there was that Howerluck pass to Goddard at one point, but, you know, there there just wasn't a lot there there. Um, You know, and I meant to say there there, like I meant to say it twice, like there wasn't a lot of there there from the Canucks (laughs) bottom six. That's been the story all season. And that's going to be the story going forward, too, until this club meaningfully upgrades. Like, it is what it is. But didn't Jake Vertanen have his big breakout game against the Leafs a couple of weeks back? Like, he, he's done nothing. He's done nothing since then, right? Like, his stat line will show that he scored twice against Toronto, and he's gone right back to being the frustrating character that people have watched here for forever, and if they're showcasing him. And I think that's part of, you know, Miller was playing with Pearson and Vertanen, not exactly two guys that are lighting the world on fire right now, and then Pearson left the hockey game, and that's why Tyler Mott got and I heard Travis's explanation, he didn't want to tamper with the second power play unit, so they plugged Mott in on the top unit. Mott played over 20 minutes in his return to the lineup. So we know that Travis Green likes having Travis Mott, or Tyler Mott, back in the lineup, and clearly that was evident by his ice time last night, uh, 16 and a half at even strength, but with special teams duties, he was up over 20 minutes uh, as he came back to the lineup. The other thing too, and and look, I agree totally with you that that Hoaglander was going last night. It makes no sense why you wouldn't tap him in overtime. Like Jake got a couple of shifts in overtime. He had the one timer from the the off wing there that uh, Gustafson stopped. Uh, that's really all I remember of Jake Rutan's night last night. But like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you go with a guy like Hoaglander? Not only in overtime, but the shootout as well. When you think of the advanced billing this guy got for his hand-eye coordination and the highlight goals that he has scored over the years in various ways in various leagues, like, I watched that shootout. It wasn't pretty, and again, I know that Gaudet won it for them, but, like, how deep would they have had to go before we saw Hoaglander? And why wouldn't you try Quinn Hughes? Like, a magician with the puck as well. Like, I, I don't know. Instead of just constantly leaning on your veteran guys, the tried and true... I'm down for thinking outside the box a little bit uh, when you get into some of the the skill competition situations of the hockey game. I mean, I want to see Hoaglander at three on three very badly. That should happen. There's no reason that shouldn't happen. No reason. I can't figure that one out. 100%. I cannot figure that one out. Um, The shootout, I mean, look. So so they start with, who who takes their first shot? Miller takes their second. Besser, right? Besser, yeah. I don't think Besser's, I don't know what Besser's shootout career numbers are, but I don't feel like they're great. Um, I'd need to check it out before I criticize too harshly. I'm very, like, prescribed about this stuff. As everyone knows, I'm rigid in how I view the game and how I view decisions that should be made. And that's particularly true in the shootout. Um, I thought you were setting me up for the blue chew read at that point, but (laughs) Uh, yeah, I'm rigid, firm, um, (laughs) inflexible. Um, no, but truly I'm not, I am. And, uh, and, um, you know, I'm curious to know. Well, Horvat's know. won their first two shootouts. He's beaten Carey Price in both of them. Was it? Yeah, it was Carey Price in goal. Uh, the two shootout wins they had, 
Bo Horvat had the game decider. So I get it, although he didn't look good last night, but that happens. I mean, we see the puck hop on guys. Uh, it's not a good look so, in the moment, but so like, Besser, I get why Bo Horvat, yeah. Besser's had 19, 19 shots for his career, and he's got three goals in the shootout. He should probably not be taking them. Honestly, like that's a big enough sample, and at 15%, he's at about half what you'd expect. Um, he should probably not be taking these. Um, like he should not be shooting in the shootout, period would be my would be the an analytic sort of look at it. Um JT Miller's really good. J I know that and I don't have to look him up. Um and then Horvat shot third, right? Yeah. And Horvat is uh 5 for 19, so that's 26.3. That's also below average. Um you know, average shootout shootout shooting percentage to be clear is about 33%. Uh, right. Given but Horvat's had a decent season, so I get why I get why sure. he's there, but Pedersen, yeah, I don't Pedersen's know. Pedersen's the big loss, right? Like Pedersen's a yeah. 38.9% shooter. He's probably their <laughs> best. Yeah. yeah, money. Absolutely money. Um, JT Miller's a 37.5. I see that now. So he should obviously be shooting. Uh, Tanner Pearson, 22%. So he should not. Uh, and 22%, but on how many ch- chances? Nine. So you don't really know. Like for me, I-, I don't really know what a guy's true talent in the shootout is until about 33 shots. That's sort of. Or 30, sorry, 30 shots. Like, I want to see a 30-shot sample. But if you get to about 20, if you get to 15 or 20, and you're sub-20%, that to me is like, okay, like, until you show me a move in practice or something that I've never seen before and that I think might work, um, I'm not sure about it. I don't, I also, JT Miller has that really cool move, the out left, and then he drags it in and he just reads the goalie, and then usually he rifles a wrist shot and, and far post, and it's a really, really difficult shot to... Taught shot to stop also gives him the option to go five hole. If the goalie cheats high, uh, gives him the option to go the other way too. Uh, yesterday he sort of pulled out of it and, and went to the backhand. And I, I think he still had the shot. Like I, I was a little surprised by the way that he read that. Um, and then Horvat of course lost the puck. Uh, look, it was not an inspiring shootout performance by anyone except Thatcher Demko. And that was sort of a nice little microcosm for the Canucks all around. I don't know who they have, though. Like, I don't know who they have that's a really great option. So I'm with you 100%. Like, I would not be shooting Besser first. I'd be shooting Miller first. Uh, I'd probably be watching and practice pretty closely to see if Hoaglander's got a move. Um, you know, we haven't seen it, so we don't know, right? But um, but now Godet's one for one. That's an interesting possibility. And then I will say, too, Vertanen's got the frame to do, like, my favorite type of shootout goal. I, I think the best types of shootout goals are if you have, like, a six foot two to six foot four forward, ideally right-handed, who can just rip it. That's the old Trevor Linden shootout goal. And Trevor Linden, like, quietly one of the best shootout players in NHL history, even though he only played two years in the shootout era. Like, that's a really, really hard stop uh, shot to stop. I wonder if Vertanen could do that. Uh, I kind of think he could, just based on his frame and the velocity and torque that he gets on his shot. If he was just, like, very disciplined about skating fast, rifle it high, I think that would be a pretty high percentage chance for the Canucks in the shootout, something something to consider anyway, as you look at, you know, their 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 limited options all around. Right. And we just spent five minutes second guessing the team that ended up winning without Elias Pedersen, because you're right. If Pedersen's in the lineup, I mean he's a, a natch, there's no doubt. And then from there, uh but I just I, my sense is that Hoaglander would be good at it just because of the hand-eye and, and the sick highlight goals that he scored over the years. Uh, whatever the case, it needed an extra round. And I thought that was a cool story, too, that Gaudette said after the game, you know, Ian Clark had uh, given him some suggestions there. So uh, Ian Clark not just working with the goalies, but doing some work. And I can't imagine that anybody had the book on Philip Gustafson because the guy had never played in the NHL. And I don't think anybody was anticipating that they would be facing him uh, when it no. got down to a skills competition. Uh, try this on for size. I, I saw this last night. I retweeted it because, uh, like, look, we're talking about the Canucks and where they are in relation to Montreal. And yeah, the Habs have all these games in hand. Montreal has left eight bonus points on the table this year. They're 0-8 in games know, that get beyond that. regulation. Like, that just shocked me. Like, you know, it, look, it happens and the Canucks have taken two shootouts from Montreal. So the Canucks have benefited. Um, but still, like... Oh, and eight. And, and maybe that comes down to the fact that we say, like, Montreal doesn't have high-end finishing skill. They've got all this depth for days, but... Or speed, know, maybe, or speed on the back end. Yeah, whatever the case. But still, oh, and eight. Like, that's eight points that they have given up to 
divisional rivals. And like right. if they you know they go four and four, there's four more points that the Montreal Canadiens have, and four fewer that uh, other teams around them would have in their bank. So just wanted to point that one out there. Uh, maybe that's the key for the Canucks. But if they get it to overtime or a shootout, then uh, Montreal is at least getting a singleton out of the deal. So Canucks need regulation wins, and uh, they need them here yep. uh, this weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we've mentioned his name a couple of times. Let's jump right into Jimmy Vesey, who uh, showed some pretty good hustle on the highway, unfortunately for him. Uh, hustle, not necessarily a word that you would describe with bureaucracy. So uh, some red tape. Uh, prevented him from getting in the lineup. He took the warm-up last night, the St. Patty's Day jersey and all, uh, but we're going to have to wait for the Jimmy VC debut, which probably comes uh, on Friday in Montreal. Uh, we'll see. But claimed on waivers by the Vancouver Canucks. I know Harm uh, wrote about him at The Athletic. If people haven't uh, checked that out and they want to sort of get the full overview of, of what Harmon thinks of uh, the acquisition of Jimmy VC, uh, you can go and check that out. But um, look, it feels like the right kind of move for this organization at this point on a couple of levels. A, if he's an NHLer that can help the hockey team, great. If he's just a warm body that's going to turn out to be a stand-in when they pedal players, then great too. Like, they need somebody to, to wear the uniform. We've talked about uh, this management group and, and certainly question a lot of their decisions, but I think they got this one right. Like, there's a player for the taking. They think he can help, and we'll see once he skates onto the ice for the Vancouver Canucks in game action. But beyond that, you know, we'll ultimately see what his value is if we go back to what we talked about earlier, them, you know, shopping players and trying to move pieces out here ahead of the deadline. They're going to need some players to suit up for the hockey club. So uh, I applaud this move. I think it was the right call for the Canucks and the kind of thing that they, they should be doing at this point in time. 100%. Well, and also VC, like... I, I, the, the frame I sometimes use is like empty, empty suit. Like he's an empty suit, middle six player, by which I mean that he does nothing extra particularly well, right? Like he's not a good defensive player. He's not a physical player. He's not very fast. Like he, he doesn't bring any of the extra stuff, but he doesn't kill you. He doesn't hurt you in any way. Like he doesn't take anything off the table. Uh, he doesn't remove a fork. He doesn't remove a knife. Like he, he comes down, he, he doesn't bring anything to the dinner party, but he doesn't take anything off the table either. Um, and he doesn't, you know, chew with his mouth open. Uh, but, but it doesn't look pretty. Like it doesn't look pretty and the conversation's not scintillating or memorable, but you can have the meal and it's like, ah, oh, that was fine. Whatever. He can get the job done. And if you look at his five on five scoring rates over the past three seasons, there are only, I think four Canucks forwards who have a higher one and it's the sort of core four guys like Besser, Pedersen, Miller, Horvat. Other than that, he's now the fifth most productive five on five scorer that the Canucks have on the roster. Um, on this team, he can make a much bigger impact than he made in Toronto where, you know, as I understand it, people started using like VC to like work with invisible, right? Like invisible, um, he really didn't make a positive impression on the Maple Leafs fan base. I, I don't think on Maple Leafs management either. Uh, but in Vancouver, I think he's a, he's a significant upgrade over some of the options that they've used in the middle six this season. And, you know, that's a good pickup. Like that's a good pickup all day, especially when you consider that he was available almost immediately. Uh, even if the paperwork didn't quite get over, over the line in time before the game started yesterday. I was thinking to myself, like, do we know, like, what would happen if he had played? Like, would somebody from Immigration Canada have trotted out on the ice and, like, put him in shackles and, and led him away? Or do you just, I, I guess you run the risk of losing your, your visa at that point. Um, right. <laughs> so maybe you, just you, don't, don't. you just don't take those, those risks, right? Yeah. If you don't have sign-off, you don't play. And, um, you know, it sucks. Like, that one sucks for... Support staff. You know, I saw Travis Green shouted out Jonathan Wall, uh, the Canucks executive director of hockey operations after the game as working all day on it. 
But like, there is nothing worse as NHL support staff. And I've never been in that high leverage a situation, like where a guy couldn't play. But I'll tell you, like the level of concern, pressure, uh, you know, even that was on me as a PR guy when you were doing like a ceremony. You know what I mean? Or even like if the if the guy didn't know if the captain or whomever didn't know about an honorary draw or like whatever. You know what I mean? Like you you have to be so buttoned up. Because you don't ever want there to be an excuse that involves you in the outcome of a game, especially if you lose. You know what I'm saying? Like, you never want to be part of what costs a team points. And that's like the pressure you put yourself under. Just put yourself under in those situations. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it feels like the, there's people looking over your shoulder and pressure is high. And for it to get that close to the point that he took warmups but didn't play... Um, you know, that, that's got to have been a tough one. Um, and I, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure the Canucks front office was very relieved to see the club get the two points last night so that there were, you know, no fingers to be pointed. Uh, because look, it, it, it's a crazy season. A lot of weird stuff is happening. Things move more slowly than normal. VC had to drive, like everything about it is nuts. And then for yeah. it to just not quite get over the line, you know, there's, there's part of me. Uh, just based on my experience working for a team where I'm just like, oh, no, like I, I, I don't even worry about it from a lineup perspective so much as I worry about it just for the, for the individuals <laughs> who, are, who are grinding to make these things happen um, in this complicated season. And, and in that case, obviously, just not quite getting it done in time. Um, you know, wheel, wheels of government turn slow sometimes. Clearly, that happened for the Canucks with Jimmy <laughs> And it's funny. My mind always goes to stupid places uh, when these situations arise. And and like I said, like I wonder, like you know, what if he had played? Okay, so he didn't do that. But he drove from Toronto to Ottawa. The Canucks were flying out from Ottawa to Montreal. Like it, it took me right back to Artem Chubarov. Like, is there a car that's now just sitting in the Canadian Tire parking lot and will forever? Or like, whose huh. car is it? Is right. it his? Like, was it his car, or did he rent a car to make that drive? Uh, like I'm thinking he didn't go to the rental car place after the game to return his vehicle. Right. Yeah. No, I so, don't know. I, that's a very good question. I'd be very curious to know, um, whose car, whose car is at the, is in Canada. There, there's one, there's one car left in the parking lot at the Canadian tire center in Canada. <laughs> whose is it? Whose is it? What car is it? What make and model? That's a good, that's a really good question. I have no idea. Um, but I'd imagine there were some weird logistics on all sides as they put that together and obviously didn't quite get it over the line in time for puck drop. Uh, we have to do this because uh, we've been doing it all season long and, and the only guys in the lineup that are scoring with any regularity uh, continue to get the job done. So, Well, there is one steak that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it uh, Sirloin-a-Lot. It's uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And a drink? Meatballs. Very good, sir. As we check in on our season-long steak bet here, Drancer, uh, Brock Bass are up to 15, so his next goal will match his season total from all of last year. Uh, he's returned to his early career form, and as we said right off the top, like he's making it look easy. Goalies don't seem to have a chance when he's got time and space. So it's been fun to watch. And Besser leaves this team with 15. But Horvat seems intent on making it a goal-scoring derby uh, with 13 now. When we set our projections at the outset of the year, uh, I had Besser at 20, you had him at 21. So I mean, he, he looks like he's going to get there and then some. Uh, and that's good for you because uh, you yep. have him with one more than I did. Horvat, again, will probably be the swing guy. Uh, I had him with 17, you've had him with 23, he's up to 13 now, so uh, certainly looks like he'll be on pace for around 20, and we'll see. And again, if he continues yeah. to play the way he has here. Um, about hat trick versus Montreal, baby, let's go. No, don't go there. Let's no. go. No, because then oh, and then, and then And then two against Edmonton in a couple weeks? Mike Smith, oh, yeah, baby. The freebies. The cheapies <laughs> against the Oilers. Those Let's ones are go. Kill me. They keep me up at night. <laughs> After that, I mean, like, I don't know who's going to hit their projections. I guess Sutter. Uh, I had him at eight. You had him at seven. He's sitting at six and has been there for a while. Uh, Hoaglander still has potential, I suppose, to reach the, the item at nine and you had him at seven. But, you know, with the injury, Elias Pettersson stuck on 10 and he was playing well before he got hurt and all those posts as well. Uh, but I had him for 23, and you had him down for 22. And and look, he's got to get back in the lineup first and foremost, not on the road trip, so he's not going to play this weekend. And beyond that, nobody seems to know. But what started out as day-to-day -day, uh, has become week-to-week. And, and yep. you know, you hope that it's not 
anything that's going to linger or cause him uh, issues down the stretch here for the Canucks because they need him. They, we pointed out that they're not scoring many goals without Elias Pettersson. And JT Miller, it's been an underwhelming season in the goal scoring department. He's picking up the points. And as we said, he's been shifted to the middle. But Miller sitting at eight goals right now, 33 games into the season. I had him down. Well, we both, we had him down for 19. So don't see him getting to that total. Uh, you know, if he could get to the mid-teens now, I guess that would sort of salvage his goal scoring season. But it just, you know, it started slowly for him with the COVID quarantine. The goals weren't there early on. And the, the pace of goal scoring really hasn't picked up for JT Miller. No, no, but he's one of those guys, he'll benefit from Pedersen coming back. Although, you know, he had a post, he had a post the other day. I think the power play, the power plays sort of looked good on occasion. And then I I really think it regressed the last two games. They'll need it to be better against Montreal. Um, Be interesting to see. I, I, you know, Miller at that shooting spot on the right circle is a is a is a threat. That's a weapon for the Canucks. So wouldn't stun me if he got hot before Pedersen got back. But man, it, he, like what what Pedersen and Miller have together, I, I think is pretty crucial for Miller to be you know producing at the rate that we certainly projected it at. Yeah, and then on down the list, you know Nate Schmidt. When you just look at a couple of defensemen that we had pegged, uh, I had him for seven. You had him at four. He's at three. And and Quinn Hughes. Uh, and again, I'm with you. Like I, I and I give Travis Hammond a ton of credit here because uh, he has been a much better player. And maybe this is you know more realistic representation of Travis Hamannick at the stage of his career since he got back from the injury. But uh, just with all the forces that were conspiring him against him out of the gate with no training camp and a year off and everything else. Um, you know, he, he wasn't good. He didn't get off to a great start for the Canucks, but uh, boy, he's been a stabilizing force now. Uh, but Quinn Hughes, just the two goals at this stage of the proceedings, and we both had him for seven. So it's hard to think that uh, he's going to get anywhere close to that number. All right. Uh, Canucks in Montreal, Friday and again on Saturday. So uh, this is know. the season, J-Pat. This is everything. This is it right here. Like if the Canucks can win both of these in regulation, then we can talk about a playoff race next week, right? But they have to win both. Like you, you have to win. You have to at least take like four and leave them with one. That's the absolute lowest sort of win total that that even keeps you alive a little bit. And even then, I I think you probably only go up to like a one in four shot. But credit to the Canucks, right? Over the last two weeks, they've gone from a one in twenty to something like a one in eight shot, right? They have like tripled their odds of making the playoffs just in just over the last uh just over the span of the last two weeks um you know Demko gets the lion's share of the credit but the team as a whole does you don't have to apologize for winning good on them but now like it's Montreal for two then it's Winnipeg then it's Edmonton then it's Calgary for two and then it's the deadline and you know they need to win a lot of these. Like they, it's not like they can go 500 here or split some of these series. Like they need to be taking points off of these teams consistently. And I do sort of in the back of my head, worry a little bit for Canucks fans, like for this city that, you know, in my view deserves a Stanley cup. And, and it would be fantastic to watch this city and this and its fans celebrate a Stanley cup win. Like I can't help, but wonder like you split Montreal you split some of these series, the team's not aggressive enough or doesn't start really pounding the pavement and selling quickly enough, and you're locked in, mired in this mediocrity for another year or for another two years. Um, like, that's that's my concern. And, and so, you know, that's why I'm playing this Dr. Doom role. I just think it's so important to focus on the leverage of the next two weeks or the next three weeks from a Canucks perspective leading up to the deadline it, to me, it's just so clear, so clear what needs to happen. Uh, it's so clear that this team isn't good enough. And I'm going to keep saying it. And I'm not going to keep saying it because I hate this team so. I'm going to keep saying it because I think that this core is good enough to credibly win in the near future if the right steps are made to fill in the roster around it. Holding on to all of these assets for some dumb reason, like, well, what about the development impact of a playoff push? It's like, what about the development impact of playing on a good team? That wins every night. Like, that's way more important. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen if this team doesn't make some smart decisions between now and April 12th. 
Right. So a couple of things I just want to point out before we close. One is, and look, every team in the division plays the Ottawa Senators. Not every team has beaten the Sens, but the Canucks are now 5-0 and against Ottawa. I know that the Sens have chipped away and made it closer than they did in those three games earlier in the season, mm-hmm. but the Canucks have 14 wins on the year. Five of them have come against the Sens. So right. again, just you know, when you're evaluating this team and its performance, keep that in mind that more than a third of their victories have come against the Ottawa Senators, who were dismal in the first three games the Canucks saw, and now they're down to a third and ultimately a fourth string goaltender, uh, although the Canucks didn't light <laughs> but up. But who the just are dismal, right? Like the Senators just are dismal. They have okay yeah. down roster talent, but there's just, you know, when you're Demko versus Decord and, and Gustafson, like, man, like you are, that's not a fair fight. And then, and then you factor in the fact that Vancouver has top end talent and they don't. And it's just like, well, you know. <laughs> it is what it is. Like yeah. you should beat the senators more times than not. Uh, but you know right. what? Credit to the Canucks. They've, they've held serve in all of those games. Most teams in the North division have not. The other thing is in our little side battle from the last pod, where I said, are the Canucks going to spend a night one night above the playoff bar? Yeah, in they've this done division? It. No, they're not there yet. By point There's... percentage. Did I say point percentage? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. But they like, passed the, they passed the flames. They did, but but in terms right. of like when you wake up and you or after the game, you know, and you see the Canucks in the top four, like they're two back of Montreal, but the Habs have four games in hand. So even if the Canucks win on Friday by point percentage, Montreal will still retain uh, the advantage mm. there. So the Canucks cannot leap to the, uh, above the playoff bar. They can be in tie, but ultimately there is no tie. Like you're either yeah. in or you're out, and so just keep that in mind. I just want to frame that. But for the Canucks, it's all about just, you know, head down, plow forward, and see what you can do as you move out of Ottawa and into Montreal. I want to mention a couple other pod options for you here at The Athletic. If you want to check out uh, what else is going on, Ian Mendez and Sean McIndoe have The Athletic Hockey Show. That is Thursdays at The Athletic. And of course, we told you right off the top, March Madness is here. The Athletic's college basketball crew brings you the Ding You, presented by BetMGM. We'll cover all of the action both on the court and at the sports book, grabbing insight from the Athletics College basketball writers and picking the brain of BetMGM's top bookmakers. Thursday's episode of The Ding You can be found on the Daily Ding feed and streaming on YouTube today as we take a look at the first round here at The Athletic. So, all right, hey, uh, there and, you go. And J-Pat, yeah. J-Pat, can we, can we just take a sec? I want to, uh, let's look, can we welcome some fresh competition to the market from our former colleagues? By all means, I, I wanna, yes. Please I want to I want to congratulate Sakaris and Price. They launched with a tremendous logo, like really eye catching. Um, you know, graphic design is their passion, and it shows. Um, but the Sakaris and Price podcast is launched. Uh, really excited to be able to listen to them again. Really excited to see what they can do. And then, of course, Dollywall and Don Taylor. Uh, Dollywall teased this on Monday on this very podcast. But the team coming to Check Six. Really excited to watch that. Uh, on a daily basis, and that'll be available in podcast form too. Nice to see some of the crucial voices in this market returning, especially for me, because I feel like I feel like since 1040 left, I've been like the critical voice in this market. You know what I mean? Like everyone's like, oh, you're so negative. And I'm like doing what I've always done. The same old shtick. It's just that it's just that 1040 is not there. The house of negativity is not there for me to like look like I'm being in the middle. <laughs> I've been left exposed by the You're lack of these island. voices. You're on an island, Rancher. I know, but I, I'm excited to I'm excited for you know some of these critical voices to come back. They're critical not just in terms of their coverage, but to me as as a Vancouver-based sports fan. Really looking forward to listening to them and wanted to do the gracious thing and welcome some new competition uh, into the marketplace. That that just serves the fans and the VIP is better. Um, really looking forward to tuning in. Yeah, likewise. And I'm glad you brought that up. And so uh, shout out to both Matt Blake and, and Donnie and Rick and looking forward to uh, seeing and hearing them back in the market. Hey, check out our comments section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast, receive a, receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. All right. So you've been working on a Hoaglander piece that's going to come out next week. In the meantime, though, uh, the prospects talk has begun. You and Harm starting to mm-hmm. drill down on uh, where Canuck prospects rank within the organization. Yeah, and uh, pieces are up at The Athletic. We have one more coming. It's a deep dive on number one prospect. I don't think I'm 
spoiling anything <laughs> to tell everyone that it's Vasily Pod Colson. Um, so we'll do a deep dive on Pod Colson for tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, we've got a, our top 10 prospect ranking a, scattered across three pieces. And, you know, I, I think there's some really interesting nuggets in there. In particular, Aiden McDonough is the fastest riser on our list. He checks in at number five. Uh, some great notes in there that, that are well worth checking out for VIPs because that guy is a legit prospect. Um, you know, additionally, I think it's worth noting, like, the Canucks have had a really deep prospect pool for years. But when you look at the guys they've graduated, like just in the last 18 months, they've graduated seven guys out of their prospect system. And that includes Thatcher Demko. That includes Quinn Hughes. That includes Adam Gaudet, Zach McEwen, Ole Olevi, like on and on down the list. There's a ton of these guys who we no longer ranked or considered prospects. Even Brogan Rafferty, uh, we've considered graduated at this point. So, you know, when you lose that volume of names and when you only make five selections at the 2020 draft and none following uh, none before the third round, like at the moment anyway, and it's just a small snapshot in time. The Canucks have a lot of good young roster players on the NHL roster, but there's not a ton of additional prospects coming. Um, there's not a huge volume here of, of really quality, high quality guys. There's, there's, you know, two or three like solid, there's one a, there's probably two solid B's and then you get to, you know, some talented young dark horse candidates to make an impact on the NHL roster down the line. Uh, again, I, I think that only serves to underscore why this team needs to make sure that they're doing everything they can and leaving no stone unturned to monetize their assets, especially because even with a seven win in nine game stretch, this is a team which, according to the athletics model, Dom Lecision's model, they are at a 14% chance of making the playoffs, um, you know, relative to a 61% chance, like a two-thirds chance of finishing sixth in the North. I, I just think it's really important to keep your eye focused on the big picture and the probabilities here, and the probability remains that this team's just not good enough this season and needs to look ahead. All right. Well, I look forward to all of that. I also look forward to harm uh, getting down to the bottom of where Jimmy VC's car uh, ultimately is going. I, I want Harm <laughs> to write like 2,000 words on what are we doing with Jimmy VC's car. Uh, we'll have that, hopefully, to look forward to, but also the Canucks and the Habs the next time you and I get together. Uh, Maybe he drove a cast. van. Maybe he drove a van. It can be a van <laughs> oh. cast deep dive into the van. <laughs> I like it. I like it. These are the things we will endeavor to find out for the VIPs. But, uh, VC's Windstar. <laughs> yes Canucks and Habs maybe Jimmy VC's debut uh, we'll break it all down on the next edition of the VanCast for Grantsers Jay Pat as always thanks so much for listening enjoy the hockey games have a great weekend and we'll be back with three new episodes of VanCast next week here at the Athletic and the Athletic.com <laughs>